an ancient underground oven, a subway that's like a museum of art, and pizza, pizza, pizza. This week, we're in Naples, Italy. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, and this is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome. On every episode of the podcast, I take you to a city to explore the culinary culture of that place. And this week, it's a spot I've been dying to talk about for quite a while, Naples, Italy. Naples is one of my favorite foodie cities. Heck, it's one of my favorite cities, period. I'll always remember arriving at the train station and not 10 minutes later getting into an argument with a cab driver. Naples is noisy and chaotic, but most of all, fun and welcoming. And it doesn't hurt that it's the place where modern pizza was invented and the home to the best pizza places in the whole world. My guest today is Fiorella Squilante. Fiorella's company, Vesuvius versus Pompeii, runs tours all over the Bay of Naples and Amalfi Coast, and they have some great food tours and pizza-making classes. Fiorella is also an expert on art and history, and her enthusiasm for her hometown is contagious. We had a great time talking about some of the cool things to do in Naples, especially underground where tourists can see parts of the city from 2,500 years ago. But mostly, Fiorella and I talk pizza, the origin of modern pizza in Naples, where to get the best pizza in Naples, and some of the varieties of pizza, including a fried pizza. But before we do that, let me ask you a favor. If you like the show, could you rate and review us? doesn't matter what platform you listen on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, whatever. When you review us, more people can find the show. Thanks. Destination Eat Drink. Fiorella, thank you so much for being on the program today. I love reading your blog, um, Naples Fabulous. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, okay. I'm a tour guide. I'm a tour guide since 25 years. Uh, I studied art history and uh, and I have worked for many, many years with the museums of Naples as a, as a member of the educational section. Uh, well, as I get bored very easily, I'm always involved in new, in new projects. This is my problem. I'm, yeah. And amongst them, I'm uh, the president of an association which is always related to Naples culture and uh, museums and art. Um, I'm the co-founder of Vesuvius versus Pompeii, which is a company that offers uh, uh, private tours in Naples and Campania region. As you can tell from the name Vesuvius versus Pompeii, we give tours obviously also to Pompeii and the archaeological areas uh, um, covered by Vesuvius eruption in 79 AD, but also all the museums in Naples, uh, Mount Vesuvius. Uh, and so on. And we do many, many food-related tours. So from uh, pizza making to cooking classes or food experience in Naples, uh, like uh, in a private Neapolitan house uh, right in the center of, uh, of the historical center in a, in a food market area. I write, as you said, a blog with my dear friend Alicia Bever, um, Naples Fabulous, uh, 
and as you can understand, I'm in love with Naples. That's why, yeah, it's a yeah. It tells you everything about how we feel about Naples. I feel really lucky to be born and live here. Uh, and it's a blog where we write about Naples art, the street life, and obviously food. We end all our posts with the food recommendation or sometimes a recipe because we really think that food and art in Naples and the human heritage of our city are uh, unique. Uh, all the tour guides I could work with, they are all very passionate about this uh, city and the millenary history of, uh, of Naples. Uh, Naples, uh, as you probably know, the historical center of Naples is a UNESCO site since 1995 because it still maintains the 2,500 years old layout. And so this ancient Greek urban fabric is still where we walk today. Uh, and because many archaeological remains are still visible uh, side by side to other relevant monuments or in the many underground archaeological areas. I mean, our historical center, even if it's uh, uh, not well kept, uh, I have to say, not always well kept, is uh, deserves to be a UNESCO site, a World Heritage Site. So, and Naples is, see, sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I can go on forever. <laughs> when I talk it's... about my city, you know, it's hard to stop me. So please uh, stop. I like, getting you, I like getting you going, Fiorella. Um, so... <laughs> no, what I was saying is that Naples is chaotic, is busy, is crazy, but people who travel here, when they come, I mean, they fell in love with the place also because it's not only uh, Pompeii, Herculaneum, and the archaeological area around Vesuvius or the Amalfi Coast, the islands which are in the bay, but obviously, no, the people, no, and the art that, that makes Naples so special. And that brings up a good point here, because I always find, Americans especially, they come to Italy, they go to Rome, and then Naples almost becomes a transit point to get to the Amalfi Coast or to get to Mount Vesuvius. And I think this is a huge mistake. This is a huge mistake, but I'm happy to tell you that this was absolutely true. But in the last five, six years, Naples is becoming extremely trendy. And so also okay. many Americans and people from Australia or Canada are now coming. And they love it because, you know, it's a surprise. Uh, while you know what you expect from uh, Venice, when you visit uh, Venice, uh, Rome, or Florence, uh, you read about it, you know about it. But while uh, Naples, uh, the reputation of the city is has not been always so good. So people are extremely surprised when they come here and they realize that we live in a wonderful place, in what has been the capital of a kingdom for many, many centuries. There must be a reason why we have a great museums, uh, artworks, uh, and uh, an incredible uh, tradition. And then I think what people start to like more and more uh, is that Naples is still the cradle of Italian culture. I mean, the Neapolitan traditions are considered like Italian tradition, because uh, what makes the difference between the historical center of Naples and the historical center of another important art city in Italy. That 
our historical center is still lived by the locals. Sometimes it's still lived by the underclass. So that means it's uh, authentic. Even if I don't like to use this expression, but in a way, it's still real. It's still real. And people love it. And also you turn a corner and behind that decrepit wall, you found a gem. You found an incredible place, like, for example, the San Severo Chapel that uh, I'm sure you heard about. This incredible uh, small museum that still belongs to the descendants of... uh, um, It's one of the most visited monuments in the city. Uh, And is a place uh, wanted by a prince and is a Masonic temple with these uh, incredible uh, Baroque statues uh, uh, carved in the 18th century with this uh, intricate symbology and Masonic meanings uh, that you will need uh, an expert guide or a very good uh, guidebook to to understand it. And it's a gem. Or, for example, you turn a street and you find the chapel where inside there's one of the most beautiful Caravaggio's painting. Uh, I'm referring now to the Piemonte della Misericordia, for example. Or you go underground to one of the many underground areas and you walk down like... Uh, uh, 10 meters, like 33, 35 feet, and you go back 2,500 years. And you walk in a street like a small Pompeii with the bakery, with the laundry, and it's right there in the heart of the city. So people are now understanding. And also Americans, as you were saying, used to stop in Naples just to go to Capri or Sorrento or the Amalfi Coast. And now they like to overnight here. So I think they should stay longer than just overnight. I think uh, at least a week in Naples is is necessary to understand see, it. That's true. It's a very complex city as well, as you say. Yeah. So it needs more days to be understood. But some people are spending weeks. Eh? And then we have lots of European tourists who like to spend, uh, again, at least uh, seven, six, ni- uh, six or seven nights in uh, in Napoli. So you talked about surprises, Fiorella, and when I visited See. Naples, um, you mentioned the underground. This was one of the great surprises yeah. to me. I did not realize there were all of these catacombs down there. And yeah. can, can you and talk in a little see, more detail about them? You know, what people see, some of the art, the uh, incredible artwork that you see and everything. The underground, uh, we have several access to the underground. Uh, for example, catacombs, as you said. But we also have this uh, one in particular, which is probably my favorite, which is called the San Lorenzo Maggiore, because it's under the church of San Lorenzo. And is a big section of what was at the Forum of Neapolis. So Neapolis was founded in the 5th century before Christ in the area that today is one of the streets of the historical center. And just by chance, after the war in the 1950s, this underground area, which is below under a church and its cloister, was rediscovered and was clean from the mud. Because the reason why it's underground is because there was a flood in the 5th century ADE that covered the mud of the area. The mud petrified, so they built on top. And only at the end of the 1980s, this has been opened to the public and is the food market 
of the city. So talking about food, <laughs> it's a place that yeah, that I'm always including in the food tours, for example, because if you walk into the cloister of this spectacular Gothic church, beautiful, wanted by uh, the Angevin kings of Naples. So you walk down about 33, 35 feet, and you start your walk on the streets dating back to the to 2000 years ago with some elements dating to some blocks of volcanic rock, which are under the Roman level, let's say, referring to the Greek foundation of Neapolis to the 5th century before Christ. And you see the oven perfectly preserved, identical, identical to our pizza oven today. So quite shocking. (laughs) And then you see the laundry and then you see the area of the food market where they used to sell uh, different type of uh, product, different type of food, probably fresh uh, produce or or fish. Being on the sea, Naples has always uh, uh, had this uh, great tradition of uh, of fish. Then there are other underground areas. For example, another one is the aqueduct of the city. Uh, so those uh, tunnels and tunnels that uh, lead to these uh, very big rooms that once used to be the water systems of uh, the aqueduct and a section of this uh, underground I'm talking about now uh, was the, is a section of a theater, the backstage of a theater dating to the first century BC that was founded literally under the bed of a lady who was living in this uh, one-room apartment, ground floor, oh, wow. in the historical center. So <laughs> it's crazy. The stratification of Naples, I'm always telling people, Naples is a vertical city. And uh, you go down and there is always a wonderful surprise. And then the catacombs, as you're talking about, I live now in the area where there are these uh, catacombs, uh, uh, San Gaudioso, for example, or the ones uh, uh, dedicated to San Gennaro, which is the patron saint of uh, of Naples, and more. <laughs> <laughs> and lots more. And, and go, lots more. And go go visit the catacombs if you go to Naples and, and, and all the underground. It's it's so eye-opening. I had no idea that this See, was going to be there when, when I came to Naples. The, I like the, the way you said it's eye-opening because... Uh, And this is what I'm always telling people. You must start from the underground because you need to understand the stratification, the history of the city. And if you don't visit the underground, it's very hard to catch why, for example, in the historical center of Naples, streets are so narrow. Why these uh, uh, intricate uh, uh, urban fabric? Because it still follows the original Greek plan dating to the 5th century before Christ. And that's why streets are so narrow. Obviously, the poor Greek architect, Hippodamus from Miletus, who conceived this urban plan, he was not planning a city for crazy scooters or or crazy drivers like <laughs> some Neapolitans are. So that's why the streets of Naples that we call Bicoli, these narrow alleys, are busy. I mean, and there's sometimes traffic, again, more scooters than cars, to be honest. But to go to the underground tells you a lot about the history of the city. And above, and also another underground that we don't have to forget more recently um, built is the subway. We have uh, two 
uh, subway lines, but the, the line one, which is the new one, is like a museum of contemporary art because each station has been designed and decorated with works of art by very famous international architects or artists. So to take the subway in Naples is like to go to a contemporary art gallery at the price of one euro and 10 cents. So the ticket for, for the train, for the subway. So it's another incredible underground of the city. And then museums. I can go on forever with the Capodimonte Museum, for example, which is a, one of the main painting galleries of Italy, uh, wanted by King Charles the Bourbon. Uh, uh, in 1738, they started the building of the museum and the royal palace surrounded by this uh, wonderful panoramic park or San Martino Museum, which is another must to visit. It's um, an ex-convent on top of the hill of Bomero uh, with this panoramic uh, uh, view, this uh, beautiful architecture. It's one of the most uh, beautiful Baroque museums uh, of, uh, of Naples. And then the many churches, uh, obviously like in every other Italian cities, churches in Naples are like museums. And uh, mainly we have a very strong presence of Baroque in Naples, which is uh, amazing. Or the palazzi, some private palazzi, like Palazzo Zevaios, which is now a, a museum, a painting gallery, where you can admire the very last painting by Caravaggio, the Sant'Orsola, amongst the other beautiful works of art. And then the archaeological museum. I told you, if you don't stop me, I can go on forever. <laughs> the, just mention the archaeological museum, which is the place where you can admire what has been found in Pompeii, Herculaneum, uh, and all the other um, Vesuvian towns, the towns covered by, and the villas covered by Vesuvius eruption in 1790. And not only, because the archaeological museum house is also the Farnese collection this incredible collection of statues coming from Rome, uh, property of uh, owned by the Farnese family, and then inherited by King Charles, our king, who was the son of the last member of the family, and on and on and on. <laughs> and as soon as you exit one of these places, you find one of the best uh, uh, trattorias or pizzerias or pastry shops. So you can combine so easily great art, great archaeological sites with incredible food. And Neapolitans are funny, are nice and charming. That's and, for sure. And uh, they like to house people. Eh? <laughs> So let's talk food, Fiorella, because, you know, I yeah. think uh, we got the first thing we got to talk about, obviously, is pizza. Uh, Naples, pizza. Naples oh. gift to the world <laughs> is pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you imagine? I mean, what, what, what I think, uh, what I was thinking about uh, today is that pizza is probably the only word in Italian which has never been translated or pronounced in a different way in other countries. No, pizza. Everyone I knows mean, what pizza, pizza is. Means. Pizza. <laughs> pizza is pizza. No, but also the way people pronounce the name. Like, for example, Napoli is the name of my, my city. But, every, I mean, abroad, you call it Naples. 
Firenze, Florence, while pizza, the name has never been changed. No, it's international and easy to pronounce. But when we have pizza, pizza in America and pizza in Naples are are different in that, you know, sure. in, in the U.S. Sure. we love to we love to put all this stuff on top. In Naples, I know, it's I know. this beautiful. It's, a big problem. <laughs> it's this beautiful simplicity. <laughs> this can be a big problem, exactly. So let's start from the origin. Almost everybody knows that uh, in 1889, pizza margherita was invented in Naples, and everybody knows that pizza existed way before margherita was invented. Maybe the name pizza comes from the Greek pita, like the pita bed pita bread, no? We know about focaccia and uh, flat bread found also, for example, in uh, in the uh, in many archaeological areas. Anyway, 1889 is when Raffaele Esposito, a cook of a still good, the still good pizzeria Brandi, uh, he was given the great task of creating a meal for Queen Margherita of Savoy, uh, the first queen after the unification of Italy. And the result is this uh, patriotic pizza baked in the oven of Capodimonte Royal Palace, the painting gallery I mentioned before. Um, and obviously the pizza has the colors of the Italian flag. So green basil, white mozzarella and red tomato. The dough is what probably makes uh, Neapolitan pizza different because obviously the ingredients are very simple. It's made of flour, salt, fresh cheese, or starter, and water. Uh, in the past, we used to think that the difference was in the water, um, because Naples tap water has always been considered a very good water. And also, uh, we thought that maybe the cl climate and the level of humidity in the air, which I still think it's really important, but what now everybody agrees about is that probably what makes the difference is a longer fermentation time. Mm, some yes. pizzerias, some pizza places today, they do from 20 hours to 48 hours of fermentation. That obviously to get till 40 hours, you need to include fermentation at room temperature, but also the remaining time is to ferment in the fridge. Otherwise, it becomes acid. And obviously, during this long time, the gluten rises slowly and naturally. And this is what makes the crust soft and elastic. The chewy crust is what makes pizza in Naples different. And also because during the slow fermentation, as we know, the sugar in the gluten produce more uh, carbon dioxide. That means that there are more bubbles of air in the crust. And so this uh, makes uh, the pizza dough of Neapolitan pizza very, very different. The bubble, the bubbles of air, which are especially in the crust, in the frame of uh, the pizza. And then the art of the pizzaiolo. I mean, I've tried, I've done so many pizza making tours in my life. And I have watched expert pizzaioli stretching the dough and I learned some secrets, but I'm not good. I'm not good enough <laughs> still. I still have to profit. I mean, <laughs> I bought a table at home with a marble top where I sometimes try <laughs> to do the same gesture. But believe me, you need to do 300 pizza a day to 
reach the level of Naples Pizzaiolo. Uh, and then, as you said, as you said, the main also another big difference is the topping. In other countries, there's too much ingredients on top. And sometimes also we contrast uh, contrasting flavors. While in Naples, we use less ingredients on the top, and this makes a, a big, big difference. Uh, so obviously, for example, the margherita. Margherita, which is still the queen no, of the pizza, uh, uh, is made with uh, um, tomato sauce, which is a fresh uh, tomato sauce, and then a fior di latte, the cow milk mozzarella, uh, and then uh, a leaf of basil and a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. That's it. Then, obviously, you can ask for um, different type of margherita, like the one with provola, so the smoked mozzarella instead of the fior di latte, or the buffalo milk oh, mozzarella. Yeah, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love it? <laughs> but you know what? For example, I don't like buffalo milk mozzarella on the pizza. I like it, I adore it as a fresh, as a, a solo dish or in a caprese salad, for example, but not on pizza because I think mozzarella di bufala releases more milk when it's cooked yes, and the, it's than the fior di latte. Yeah, and this makes the crust for me, of, of course, too soft and sometimes wet. Which is not what I, I mean, I mean what I want to find in my pizza. So I'm for the traditional with fior di latte, with the cow milk mozzarella. Now, Fiorella, you talked about the um, the long fermentation process, and yeah. one thing I want to share an experience that I had in Naples. Uh, the first place where we went to get pizza when we arrived in Naples was uh, Gino Sorbillo. And yes, very which is still very good. Very huh? famous place, and the pizza was yeah. outstanding. Very, very good. Yeah, but you know, I agree. you get you get served an entire pizza for one person, or at least that's yeah. what we, we did. And uh, we were initially shocked. We're like, "How are we going to eat all of this?" But, <laughs> but we were able to do it. <laughs> and I know, but I know, we because it's thin. We, we it's weren't very thin, and we weren't overstuffed. And when I came back to the U.S., I have, a, I have a friend who is a pizza maker, and she makes it in the Neapolitan style. And the way it was explained to me, and you can say this is yes or this is no, but mm -hmm. the way it was explained to me is the Neapolitan pizza is fermented for so long, it allows the gas and the yeast to fully mature and release so that when you eat yes. it, your stomach isn't filled with all of this gas inside, Absolutely. making you Absolutely. feel all stuffed. So you can eat a whole pizza, which is great. <laughs> That's true. In few words, uh, the pizza dough doesn't rise in your stomach. Yes. When you do a long fermentation... That's it. And so it doesn't continue to rise in your stomach. I'm glad I didn't say, no, your friend is wrong. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> you were worried there for a minute. <laughs> yes, yes, I was a little worried, but I'm glad that I agree with what he said. Now, and also, uh, pizza in Naples has to be big. Pizza, because the pizza crust is so thin and soft. So the amount of uh, uh, bread, of 
dough you're eating is not that much. And imagine that for a typical Neapolitan, yesterday I went to a pizzeria to have a great pizza, um, my favorite pizzeria in this particular moment of my life. And um, before having the pizza, we had fried croquettes, we had mm. some arancini, and we had, we were so bad that we had also some <laughs> frittatine di maccheroni so and then the whole pizza so oh. we we have a big capability because we grew up with pizza so we can do even worse than one pizza each this sounds like a good day to me fiorella sorbillo is still a, a very good place but consider that for me as a neapolitan to be in a line for an hour to sit at a table mm. and eat a pizza is a unacceptable right, so right. i'm always looking for new places where to go uh, and eat great without queuing so, so um, tell us a couple of your favorite places fiorella where where do you like to go okay apart from the well-known and really good ones like the one you mentioned sorbillo or 50 calo the, the 50 calo that makes a very good fermentation rising of the dough, Attilio, or uh, the very famous Michele, don't even think about going there for a pizza because you have to spend two hours in a line before getting the table. Mm-hmm. Or My favorite at the moment is the one I went uh, to yesterday, is called the Pizzeria Antico Borgo Vergini which is in the uh, historical center in an area called Sanita. And the pizzaiolo, the pizza maker, uh, Ciro Pellecchia is called, uh, he used to work in a very famous uh, pizzeria where, again, the line is uh, endless. Uh, the pizzeria where he was working to is called Concettina e Tressanti, and now, which is still good, but when he was working there, he was my favorite pizza maker because the way he can stretch the dough is, to me, amazing. And so uh, the dilemma when you go to the Pizzeria Antico Borgo Vergine is uh, what to choose <laughs> because uh, he makes, yeah, it's a dilemma. I'm always uh, very stressed and under pressure because I don't know if to have the calzone al ragù, which is something <laughs> really filling. I don't know if you can finish that. <laughs> you could finish the pizza at Sorbillo, but I'm not sure you can finish the calzone al forno, which is made with, uh, uh, it's a baked calzone. Uh, pizza filled with ragu sauce and meat and this a very fresh and creamy ricotta cheese and fior di latte uh, it's to die for and also another pizza which I love at this place is the marinara with anchovies which uh, as you know is a pizza without cheese and uh, I mean uh, this is the way we judge a good pizza. If there's no cheese, every other ingredient, and above all, the pizza dough has to be perfect. But yesterday I had this uh, Nerano pizza. The Nerano pizza. Nerano is the name of a beautiful town in uh, Sorrento Peninsula. And pizza alla Nerano, because in Nerano, one restaurant invented this uh, spaghetti pasta with the zucchini and a secret ingredient that now is no more that secret. But anyway, so this Nerano pizza is a white pizza, so there's no tomato, with provola cheese, so smoked mozzarella, some grated 
lemon peel and thin, very thin fried zucchini on top. Oh, wow. uh, and in this place, I always to die for this place where I go, there is also the whole fried zucchini blossom on top mm. and flakes. Uh, I know, and flakes of provolone del Monaco, which is a uh, a typical cheese of uh, our region. If we want to translate it, the monk cheese, even if it has nothing to do with the monks, because it was not invented by a monk, but the name comes from the shepherds of the mountains where the uh, milk of uh, to make this provolone was made. They used to wear a sackcloth, so similar in a way to a monk tunic. So that's why it's called the provolone del Monaco. And it's uh, this uh, semi-hard cheese with a uh, stretch curd, so pasta filata. Uh, and it's made with a very peculiar uh, processing technique. And a big percentage of the milk used for this uh, specific provolone comes from Magerola, which is a village on the Latari Mountains, the chain of mountains in Sorrento Peninsula, which are also famous for the Fior di Latte cheese that we use on the Margherita pizza. Uh, it's delicious. So if you come to Naples, we go there and you can order the Nerano pizza and then you can understand what I'm talking about. I, I, I love it already and I haven't even tasted it yet. <laughs> You're already desperate to try. Yeah, I know. I want to get on a plane just for the pizza. So, Fiorella, we talked about pizza for so long now. There's so much more to talk about in, in Naples. I think we need to have you back for another another episode. Will you come back and join us uh, again? Okay. Okay. See. Okay. There you go. If that doesn't make you want to have a nice Neapolitan pizza, I don't know what to tell you. And for more on Naples, check out Fiorella's blog with her friend Alice called Naples Fabulous. We've got a link in the show notes at radiomisfits.com. Next week on the show, we're visiting some of the world's great wine regions, including the Willamette Valley in Oregon, northern Portugal, and plus we've got to bust some wine myths. And uh, wine comes at a good time next week because on my blog last week, I had a story about glue vine. This week, I've got the story about why you need to wear red underwear on New Year's Eve in Italy. All those stories are at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and pit boss Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask. And I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 